You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, sponsored by Starburst Magazine, and for the next 60 minutes we're going to be talking about the snowmen, so that you don't have to. Simon and I'm Bill and we've got no Lee again this week he's just playing around in that box with Stephen Moffat again but Lee has sent us his thoughts on the snowmen so I'm going to go through my text messages and I'm going to find that text from Lee and he's told me to read it out in a child's voice so I'm going (laughs) to attempt reading this in a child's voice not that much different from the norm then (laughs) so he condensed this down to a text does he that's impressive uh, yeah, but Lee really doesn't have much to say. So when Is it he, has, he has to as well? put it down in writing, <laughs> <laughs> he says, Well, it's a TARDIS. Great intelligence. Old style costume. Magic stairs. <laughs> Mary Poppins companion. Comedy Santaran. Richard E. Grant. Victorian London. What is there not to love? Apart from no story, this was a fun character piece. The only grumble, more companion death. It is losing its impact somewhat. But hey, Merry Christmas. And that was Lee's thoughts. You missed out Ian McKellen. Well, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back again (laughs) next week. (laughs) (laughs) We've got... We've got actually some emails that I forgot to read last oh. week that I was supposed to bring up in the last episode. So, uh, oh, and well, this one wasn't an email. This was also a text, but I thought I'd bring this one up because I like it. From Declan May, just listen to the Blue Box podcast about toys. You guys need to put the podcast up for an award. So funny, so informative and so inclusive. Brilliant broadcasting. Also, Bill is great. Well, everyone knows The check will be in the post next week. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, seriously, what if award? we wanted to put this up for an award, how would we do that? And anyone what, I can and think what award? of. Well, the only, one I, the only one I can think of is the one that SFX magazine do. I hardly think mm. they're going to give an award to Starbase <laughs> magazine, are they? So that's not going to work. Uh, another email, Richard Hugh Parkin said, uh, this is a good one. This is probably going to take a couple of minutes. And let's pretend it's before Christmas, because I was supposed to read this out last week. Assuming that you've all been good boys this year, what Doctor Who item would you like Santa to leave you on Christmas morning? It can be anything real or imagined. I want a TARDIS, a working TARDIS, obviously. Oh, that's good. I wouldn't have even dreamed of thinking that. God almighty. I was about to say a a full Series 7 box set, because I can't be bothered to wait till next year. Hmm. Okay. They've got to finish making it. Blu-ray, I mean... Yes. Hmm, I don't know. Something that would help me regenerate and continue <laughs> to be old for many years. Even older than Bruce Forsyth, if possible. <laughs> oh, yours is crap, Simon. These two I know, well, I wasn't thinking outside the box. And you've come up yeah. with a Series 7 box set. <laughs> <laughs> all right, then, all the missing episodes. There you go. Oh! oh. oh. 
<laughs> you know what I was going to say? In I just want, uh, just want a little five-inch character options figure of a Kral from the Android Invasion. You are a very sad man. See, and I then, know. Yeah, now I don't feel so stupid. <laughs> I know. I only said you were stupid because I knew what I was going to say afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have said it. I wouldn't have dreamed of saying it otherwise. Or a Wirren from the Ark in Space. Oh, lovely. Oh, yeah. <sighs> Did they not? They haven't done that yet. No. No, no they've done... See, 20 years time the memory will cheat and we'll think they didn't make one but you know what I was saying about character options and the way the line has gone because it wasn't selling so well and now they have to you know cut corners and do repeat figures just to make the you know just to make the money add up mm. and the thing is things like the Kral's and the Wirren if they'd have sold well enough and you know they'd have been able to keep this line going in the high street Toys like that probably would have shown up sooner or later, but the way it's gone, I just can't see it ever happening. Mm. Which is why, real or imagined, those are the kinds of things I'd love to have seen in. Have you any idea what what the story is of this new series of Daleks they've put out? These talking Daleks for about fifteen quid a piece. Have you seen them? Five inch. Yeah, I've got one. Yeah, of of all the different Dalek stories, through Argus and everyone, haven't they? Is there any reason for that? Is that part of the fiftieth anniversary? Do you know? No, I only know because on uh, Christmas Day, my nephew, uh, I walked into his house and he said, look what I got. I got a revelation of the Daleks, Dalek. And I, <laughs> I was absolutely seething with jealousy. And I said, <laughs> well, look after it, look after it. And he said, no, it came from Argus. So I thought, oh. Yeah, they're not <laughs> difficult to get hold of. No, I, th- I thought somehow. <laughs> not got for you. You probably took his, didn't you? So he's probably still looking well, for it. Yeah, <laughs> tempted. But then I, I looked online and there's all manner of stories. Yeah, there's Ooh. six. There's one from the new series and five from the old series. Right. It's just character options, having the wherewithal to do something relatively cheaply. Yeah, that recolouring a few Daleks. Caters to well, they've already yeah, they've already done all these Daleks molds, I suppose. Yeah, yeah what do they done... do apart from talk? Do they do anything else? Can you can no, they no, no, they're just, no, they're just talking. They're just you. regular five-inch scale they're all Dalek from the landmark toys episode. with a voice chip in. Yeah. And the voice chip, they've all got the same voice chip, I think. I believe they've not got story-specific voice chips. Oh, right. So it's not like each Dalek will do quotes from that story. They've just done a voice chip with some sort of generic Dalek phrases that these Daleks will say. They've done the mould. That's a shame they haven't got a Day of the Daleks one with a bad voice. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) They did, when they originally um, had an idea to do these, they were going to do the invisible Dalek from Planet of the Daleks, which is... Well, they've done invisible toys before, which is basically they do it in see-through plastic. Right. So it's not invisible, but it, what it is, it's see-through plastic, which is quite a nice thing to have, a see-through Dalek. But they obviously decided not to bother with that one, and they did like a... Shame there isn't a see-through Perry, but only partly see-through. <laughs> X-ray, Specs Perry. You just want to see um, Glitz and Dibber again, don't you? <clears throat> oh, here's another email we had. We've not had many emails lately, so I'm... Uh, Quite happy to get any emails at all that I can get my hands on. Uh, Greetings. I am Mrs. Mary Thomas, an aging widow suffering from long-time illness. I have some funds I inherited from my late husband, the sum of five point million US dollars, and I needed I needed a very honest and sincere individual or corporate or organization that will use the fund for work of humanity. I found your email address from the Human Resources database and decided to contact you. Blah blah blah. That was one email we had. Mm, Doesn't seem particularly pertinent, (laughs) but I thought I'd read it out anyway, as we're uh, scrabbling around a bit at the moment. (laughs) 
We've had some emails on the episode, <laughs> but shall we talk about the episode first and come to those after? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yes. Okay. Uh, what did you think of the snowmen? Oh, the snowmen. Oh, dear. I could do 60 minutes on this, but I won't do that. Complete honesty. Uh, complete honesty. I think um, initially, you know, you've got Matt Smith as a doctor, which for me is great. Uh, you've got Richard E. Grant, who I really like, and you've got the voice of Ian McKellen. But it still doesn't work. Um, I found with the Christmas episodes, for me, this one's consistent because I've seen every christmas episode there's been once and i've never watched any of the christmas episodes again Ooh. um yeah i think there are they're a really nice way to spend an hour and enjoy it but uh, it's it's so hard. i'll probably i don't know i'll probably upset people by by saying this yeah i think that the thing is with you know with doctor who and i may upset people here and outside if people don't worry about it, upsetting people well, I want to upset, it's at the end of the day <laughs> doctor who is a children's program it's a very good children's program, or maybe now a family program. And I've loved it for years because it doesn't ever talk down to children. It is, you know, it's honest. And I think Christmas specials sometimes almost written by, you know, they're all written by different people. But they're almost written for their own enjoyment, as opposed to the enjoyment of the people watching it sometimes. I mean, this one had some, you know, really good bits in it that I liked, and then disappointing bits like... The Sontaran just being a comedy sidekick. Oh, love you know, that. <laughs> Simon's hobby horse. I'll come to that. Come it to does that. make it difficult for future episodes. There, there's good things. I mean, Matt Smith is the, you know, when he's the doctor pretending to be Sherlock Holmes and saying, you know, I'm, you know, trying to pretend that he's sussing things out by saying, have, have you got a, a goldfish named Colin? You know? <laughs> yeah. there, there are some, there are some good, you know, there are some good lines in it, but I just found it started off quite funny became very silly in the middle and was okay at the end but it was just very very ordinary for me very you know just very yeah past i say pleasant to watch and pass the time but very you know like popcorn movie sort of dismissible oh i think that's kind of the point with the christmas episodes to a certain extent they have to be like popcorn movies because you know they're there for those extra two million people on top of the regular viewers who might only ever see the Christmas episode. And I think that's something that we need to address when talking about this episode. But before we do, before we get into specifics, Mark? I had to watch it a second time to really round out my opinion on it because I watched it the first time. I wasn't sure. And I watched it again. And I really enjoyed it. Um, I think I may be in the minority here, but I, I liked it. I I know some people aren't so keen on having the Sontarans as comedy characters <laughs> not looking at anyone in the room in particular Simon um, I like some of the interplay um, I like the bit where Matt Smith says I'm the clever one and you're the potato one I thought that was quite a good line um, the memory worm I thought was quite amusing I thought that scene was brilliant mm. yeah they were good bits yeah. the memory worm was a, was, a, was a nice idea and it kind of paid off in the end as well mm. yeah so you've forgotten about well. it yeah. like a lot of programs and yeah. at the end it comes back and it hits you and you go oh yeah that was at the beginning yeah I know Chekhov's um, memory worm then yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I know a lot of uh, people myself included didn't really take to last year's episode because it felt a bit sort of lightweight and a bit too basic not really trying to sort of um, stretch the viewer's imagination very much whereas this one took a few more chances I thought Go on then, quick first impression, Simon. Quick first impression? Yeah, well, let's not get into too much specifics. <laughs> okay. We'll go into that One in a minute. One word, new. But... Pardon? It felt new. Did it? Did you like it? I'm asking if you liked it. 
Yeah, I liked it. Okay. Even I though I had a comedy. You borrowed the one word. Well, I was going to say, I thought it worked far better. It was very well written. It was hard not to like because I thought the comedy was far better written. Um, and he started turning into a character, strangely enough, being a clone. Um, but, you know, uh, the trouble is it's always seeing of the Sontarans. I don't want to go into this, but it's always seeing of the Sontarans is as comedy characters, uh, as as objects of ridicule. And they, they in that respect, they're going to lose their menace. And that's what I'm concerned about. You mean about. in the new series? Yes. Did you think, but not in the Sontaran stratagem, surely? Well, that was just a rubbish episode, I thought. Oh, it's great. I mean, there's obviously clips of the Sontarans coming up in the new yeah. series. And the only thing is, like you say, this is good for a Christmas special for the audience that is perhaps not as in-depth watchers of Doctor Who as a lot of people. But if you set something like that up with a Sontaran being a comedy character, when they come back seriously, sometimes you just find it hard to equate that. To readjust to it. Mm. But he does be, seem to be coming across as an individual, so hopefully that won't happen, mm. but... And presumably most of the people who will be watching the series will have watched, you know, last year's series and the year before's. And the explanation for why you've got this comedy Sontaran sidekick has been addressed. Mm. So it's, you know, it's like the uh, good Silurian, isn't it? Yeah. You know, whenever you get the Silurians in regular stories of their own, they're always the bad guys or Mm. the uh, Shades of Grey guys, should Mm. we say. Mm. But, you know, if you're going to have an individual, you can do something different with the individual that you can then go back to the original template when you come back to the species. Mm-hmm. I don't see it as a problem, really. I think okay. it's a great character, and I certainly don't think you should stop yourself from writing a great character just because you're worried about what you might want to do with the rest of his species in another episode further down the line. Mm-hmm. I thought it was nice that he had a gang again. Yeah, I and like the gang. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's it. Stephen Moffat loves to take what Doctor Who is and play around with it. He loves to take the ideas that other writers have brought to the table and say, right, there's the idea. That's what the idea does. That's what people have done with the idea previously. And, you know, it exists. It's there. It's happened. Let's not just repeat it. Let's see what we can do with it if we turn it over, turn it inside out, find something else to do with it. Stephen Moffat always loves to take previous people's ideas and push them right to the edge of the envelope. And nobody's ever done the Doctor with a gang before. Not in so many words. Look at uh, Talons of Wang Chiang, one of the all-time <coughs> classics. And <clears throat> basically, it's the Doctor and a Companion but, you know, get a little bit further under the surface. And it is the Doctor with his gang. Jago and Lightfoot and Leela and the oh. Doctor. That's his gang. He has yeah. a gang in that episode, in that story. And all Stephen Moffat's doing is taking one of the greatest Doctor Who stories of all time and playing around with the formula, having a little fun with the ideas. I suppose in that setting as well, it's all quite League of, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, isn't it, as well? it's that. But at least they've all got something to do. Yeah, You find, look about the old series, say, towards the end of Tom Baker's era, when there were so many companions in the TARDIS, they just almost had to split the dialogue up between them. Well, there was too much. At least with this, everybody yeah. had something individual to do, and it didn't yeah. feel forced. That's because you had bad writers <laughs> <laughs> at the end of Tom Baker and into Peter Davison. But that's another podcast, <laughs> and one we've already done about <laughs> six times. Um, as far as the... Christmas episodes concerned then the story 
not the no let's put it this way then the plot not mm. the story mm. not the stuff to do with clara we'll come back to jenna louise kelman later but the plot the snowmen mm. what did we make of that plot plot wise yeah i think the plot was you know the plot did move on and it was pretty fast paced like you say we've only got an hour to do this and there was enough going on in the plot but i just find it it the did uh, you feel the plot hung together though because that for me was the only disappointing thing i mean i i felt and again this is another issue with the 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 christmas episodes is that there are there are too many contrasting things going on too much it's not a, a very good balance of humor and seriousness it's almost like um the the last Sherlock Holmes movie that Robbie Downey Jr. did that you've got the second uh, one. yeah the second yeah. one Jared Harris is playing Moriarty very seriously and the rest of the cast are doing a pantomime oh, and right. it doesn't work for me personally mm. and I found the same thing with Christmas specials that it's it there is a mixture of comedy and drama and certainly the way Moffat writes them is very good but the Christmas ones they feel almost like here's Contrived. a scene that's comedy here's a scene that's serious and it oh, just seems too much, it just yeah. seems so it doesn't flow very well. I suppose so. I think Stephen Moffat, and I particularly think it's true this one, I think he did really well with his first Christmas episode, probably because he hadn't written a Christmas episode and he'd had a few years to think about what he wanted to do with a Christmas episode. But now he has done Doctor the Widow in the Wardrobe, which is, you know, second album syndrome really, isn't it? <laughs> and now that he's got that out of his system... He can do something else, and mm. he goes back mm. to pushing the template. Yeah. Because the Christmas specials, up until this year, have always done either one of two things. They've either been an event episode, Tenants First, Tenants Last, or else they've been a complete standalone. Even the two Moffat episodes with Amy and Rory in sidelined Amy and Rory to such an extent that they weren't even the main companions mm. in those two stories. You know, they were entirely standalone, entirely apart from everything else that had been going on in the series. What Stephen Moffat's done this year is for the first time in all these Christmas specials is write a story that's important to an ongoing story arc. Mm, Absolutely. Because even the Tenant event episodes, it was his first episode, but you didn't need to know anything other than that it was his first Mm. and it was his last episode and you didn't need to know anything other than it was his last Mm. But this year, you needed to have seen Asylum of the Daleks to really understand, as much as they put references into the fact that he'd met Clara before. Mm. If you hadn't seen that episode, it wouldn't have made a lot of sense. And because it was left so open-ended, you know, it still doesn't make sense now and won't make sense until you watch the next eight episodes. So Stephen Moffat's really changed the character of what you can do with a Christmas episode. And in doing so, he sidelined the plot. I was going to say the snowmen weren't necessarily the centre of the, the whole thing no. at all, were they? They appeared at the start. They did. There was this nice scene that wasn't particularly well filmed where they started eating some people. Yeah. Mm. And then after that, there was no threat from them whatsoever. No. You didn't see them... No, they were almost forgotten in the sideline, weren't they? Yeah, and every mm. now and again they'd turn up because the episode was called The Snowmen, so you needed to see them once yeah. every 10 or 15 minutes. <laughs> and that was it. they just kind of turn up, yeah. sort of... Shuffle along on the other side of the window so you can see the little faces grinning in with their big teeth. Mm. And that was it. They were gone again. Mm. And Richard E. Grant. Yeah. Yeah. Was not in it enough, unfortunately. Very underused. I think he's yeah, great, he but very underused. Brilliant. Mm. And not only yeah. was he underused, 
it wasn't just that he wasn't in it enough. They didn't get him to do anything. No, he spent no. 50 minutes under the control of talking the great intelligence. We're talking to the globe, weren't we? Yeah, yeah, talking like yeah. a robot. Yeah. And then five minutes of sort of waving his arms around and pretending to be made of ice. Mm. They could have done so much more with him. Yeah. His character. Like, you're getting someone like that, that calibre in it. You think, great, we'll really focus on them. And then they didn't because there were too many other things going on in the episode. Because I don't have a problem with, we've talked about this before, them using people like Michael Sheen as the voice of House in uh, mm. Doctor's Wife. Or in this, Ian McKellen as the voice of the Great Intelligence or the Snowmen or whatever you want to say, the voice of the Snow Globe. But I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> yeah. If oh, you've got a sure. voice part and it takes like a morning to record and you can afford and you can get a really yeah. famous actor to do it, get them in to do it. Mm. But when you've got somebody like Richard E. Grant and you've got 60 minute special and he's in it from start to finish, because yeah. he's the first named actor mm. that you see in the whole piece. They spent so long building up that he's in it. Yeah. Mm. And, then, and then you don't use him. And then he just plays a robot, basically. Yeah. And that, to yeah, me, yeah. was, you know, it's all, like I was saying, difference between plot and story. A whole episode, really, is about Clara. And everything they put into the rest of the story kind of fell a bit flat. Which isn't... Sorry, go mm. on, Mark. I was going to say, I think one of the things that, in my eyes, made this a better story than last year's was their use of creating um a believable world i know you've got fantastical stuff like this on tyrants and lesbian lizard ladies running around the place uh, but <laughs> i think that was just a dream you had Mark. well yeah. yeah possibly um but i mean in the previous years you had the doctor playing the caretaker and you had this house and it was this fantastical house with you know a tap for lemonade and stuff like that and it just you didn't really feel like it was part of the real world and for me, a lot of the appeal is seeing this fantastical stuff happening in a world that you can kind of identify with that's kind of based more in reality. Which is not necessarily something that Doctor <laughs> Who does all that often anyway. Well, no, it, uh, but think... in the Christmas special, it reminded me a bit of The Next Doctor. I was just thinking that, yeah, it's mm. like The Next Doctor. Not without just the, the Victorian setting, King. but the story. Yeah. It's um, in the in the uh, next Doctor. You've got Miss Hartigan walking around with the Cyber Shades and the Cybermen, creating havoc basically mm, mm. in the snow. And in this one, you've got Richard E. Grant with his snowmen doing the same. But in the next Doctor, I thought Ross T. Davis put the plot and the story together brilliantly, mm. and the whole Cyberman story and the whole next Doctor story mm. fit together really well. Whereas in this one, Stephen Moffat much as I don't like to say it, he definitely left the plot behind, you know, at, for the expense of the story. Yeah, perhaps more style than content. Well, know. it's it's not so much content wasn't there, because he had it all. Mm. The whole thing was geared towards, you know, creating that mystery around the character of Clara. And that worked brilliantly. I mean, I'm saying that it... Um, was the wrong episode to do it in because you're going to leave your two million extra Christmas viewers scratching their heads a bit. I <laughs> presume the idea is to get those two million people to hang around for when the series comes back. But, you know, in terms of the story, the Clara stuff was dealt with great. Mm. She, she was an interesting character she in was her great. own right. Mm. And, you know, she's going to move on and be another character 
again when the series comes back. Mm. And I thought all that stuff was dealt with great. Mm. But the plot, the great intelligence and the snowmen, it didn't seem to go anywhere. I know the the, the whole thing about the pond and the woman in the ice and if you're going to sort of invade or take over the planet and you need to kind of find a way of putting your formless identity into bodies you need to find some kind of body you know it's like the gelf story a bit mm-hmm. the unquiet dead yeah. yeah but they built her up this you know the woman coming out of the ice is quite a menacing sort of character and quite scary yeah and then they played bit, it for comedy yeah it's a bit disappointing. and again i just find that very disjointed it, 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 you're trying to do comedy you're trying to do serious you need to blend them in a bit more seamlessly yeah well but that's and he's you not doing what? that. I mean, I'll say what you say about him being, you know, he does push the envelope. And that's what I like about him because I'd rather watch an episode he writes and thinks it's rubbish and another one that I think is brilliant than watch all the episodes he writes and just thinks they're all just okay. Yeah, yeah, and that, yeah. I think, is, you know, why I do like his writing because mm. it doesn't always please me. And I think that's good. And what I dislike, someone else will say, that's their favourite episode. Mm. Well, I've loved some of the episodes he's written. Absolutely loved them. But then every now and again, he'll just throw you one that's, real you know Dr. Widow in the wardrobe mm. <laughs> and this was no in no oh, that's a Christmas special see ya but this was yeah. in no by no stretch of the imagination bad no no not, not in any way no I don't think no, I say with all the Christmas specials I don't think any of them are bad mm. I just think I haven't found one that I've thought I'll buy that or I'll watch it again I just find I've watched mm. them and they're nice to watch for an hour but I, I think on the back. whole, I've preferred the Moffat ones to the Davis ones, yeah. but only, you know, by a hair's breadth margin, really. I like the Christmas specials. You know, I've come out and said this on the podcast before, I think. I'm a big fan of almost all the Christmas episodes, even the ones that aren't particularly good. The end of time, it's not a good story, <laughs> but I can't help but enjoy it. And every time I see it, I mm. just sit there and thoroughly lap it up. Mm. So uh, I'm not going to complain about that. Uh, what else? Ian McKellen, we've barely mentioned him. Are we going to, if we, uh, well, <laughs> okay, here's the thing. Did anybody notice the map of the London Underground on the yeah. biscuit yeah. tin? On his tin, yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> and was everybody thinking the same thing when they saw that? Well, Weber fear. Mm. Yeah. Thinking yet- yeti- mm. Well, you think great intelligence and things like that. It's well, a yetis, they're coming back. Weirdly, going back to when I saw the, the title, I thought, well, that's, that's a little bit too close to the bottom, bottom yeah. of Snowman, isn't it? Mm. And, you know, and, and then it went out of my head again. It didn't even occur to me that they were big. But I wonder if that's him deliberately doing that. It's a nice little in thing for fans and getting them excited about something that doesn't happen, but it's a nice little... Oh, no, you know, this is what I'm coming to. Yeah. There's more? When we saw the... Was it a biscuit tin? I can't remember what it was. It was actually, yeah, it was yeah. a tin, yeah. 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 When we and saw the map on it, mm. were we thinking at that point, that's the great intelligence in the globe? No, no. Yeah, I thought that could have been, yeah. And I'd kind of been thinking that for a while. Mm, no, I didn't. I didn't until they mentioned the intelligence. You had all the um, silver spheres around it as well, making that sort of lightning arcing. Mm. Oh, which is like the old spheres yeah. they had in the Trouton yeah. Day, yeah. Mm. Mm. But when Matt Smith, uh, the Doctor, then went on to make a reference to this, on this tin you have a map of the underground mm. as it was in 1967. Yeah, I mean, that's the mm. point where I thought, oh, right. But at that point, mm. okay, all us fanboys are thinking great intelligence, mm. and this is the great intelligence in the snow globe. But for the other, you know, yeah. 7.88 million people <laughs> watching... What the hell's that? Yeah, yeah, that whole spiel about the London Underground just sort of came out of nowhere, really, didn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah, maybe it didn't quite fit. I mean, he needs to perhaps it's be a bit more like tr- Stephen King, where King can write a novel and refer back to his other novels. Mm. If you don't get the reference, it makes absolutely no difference. Yeah. Mm. But sometimes if you write it and you don't get the reference and you're puzzling the audience, yeah. then it's because, got to be a bit yeah. more open for yeah. a because general audience. That's what it looked like to me was going on this time. That <laughs> reference was just so specific that if you didn't know what it meant, mm. it was going to confuse you. It wasn't one of those references where you could just ignore it and move on. It was obviously really important. Mm. And yet it was so specific to something that 99.9% of that audience wouldn't have had a clue about. It just seemed weird. And then the whole rest of the plot part of the episode from that point onwards, where you find it's the great intelligence in the globe, I mean, from that point onwards, I, I've only watched it once. I've not watched it back yet. Mm. It just all seemed a bit confused to me, was it? Um, I don't know. I, I found I kind of... It was, it was quite got, a vague connection to the great intelligence, wasn't it? Mm. It, was, it was that in name alone in some respects, wasn't it? I think it? they overdid it a little bit. But it's a thing to pick, especially Moffat, picking that name mm. isn't coincidental. It's almost like he's having a joke with the fans. It do, yeah. I know, so, it's yeah. far deeper than that. We'll come good. back to that in a minute. Oh. <laughs> I felt they laboured it a bit. I felt they laboured it a bit when they had to have him reading the name of the company off of the um, business card at the end. I was like, mm. oh, yeah, okay, mm. I was expecting, I don't know if anybody else was, but I was expecting the company to be called something like Gatiss Industries and the GI (laughs) to be a a subliminal reference and the doctor to pick it up and say, GI, Mm. that reminds me of the great intelligence or something like that. Mm. But then at the end of the story, it says great intelligence. I'm not quite sure. I think I remember that. (laughs) 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 But you know what I mean? When I say it's confusing, I don't mean necessarily in terms of being able to understand what's happening Mm. as being able to understand why it's happening and how Mm. it's supposed to fit together. Mm. It's almost like maybe there was a plot idea there that never happened and then Moffat just kept something in and thought, I'll keep that in as a reference. Well, I'm sure, and this is what I was about to bring up, I'm sure he's got big plans now for the Great Intelligence. I think the Great Intelligence is going to be Matt Smith's arch enemy by the end of his tenure as the Doctor. I think the whole of Matt Smith's time is going to have been a fight against the Great Intelligence. I suspect the Great Intelligence will be <laughs> revealed to be the voice that said, silence will fall in the TARDIS and cause the TARDIS to explode. I suspect the Great Intelligence will be shown to be the power behind the silence and Madame Covarian. And I definitely suspect that the Series 7B finale will be called something like Silence Will Fall or Yeti on the Underground <laughs> and we'll see a return of the Yeti. I do not know if any of these things are true. You're going to look pretty stupid when it turns out to be the Chumblies all along. <laughs> <laughs> but you see my point. Clever, though, considering they call the intelligence, it didn't seem to be that clever. It was no, this is my point. If this is right, <laughs> yeah. and this is Moffat's super plan, yeah. because I think Moffat's one of those writers who will tie his entire tenure together, mm. however long it is, five mm. years or whatever, I think he will tie it all together. And I suspect that this episode is the first foray into understanding that part of the Stephen Moffat universe. If Series 5 was all about Amy and the Cracks and the Monster Alliance, right? Mm. And Series 6 was all about tying up the River Song story. So the River Song story is all now all tied up. Mm. And we did the Cracks and we did Amy and we did the Monster Alliance and why Amy is important in terms of them getting to the Doctor. But ultimately, that's a great big red herring. And I think this is, you know, your first little skirmish 
in the actual big battle. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think the whole great intelligence thing with the Doctor not quite remembering who they are and them seeming a bit mm-hmm. wet and just sort of being in this Literally globe in and trying to animate snowmen and it not quite coming off and they're not quite sure mm-hmm. of what they're doing. But this is the trouble I have with him as a writer. And again, I know you said the Christmas special, you have to write for a Christmas audience who perhaps don't watch Doctor Who. But if he's got a long-term plan, which he obviously has for various twists and turns in the plot and characters, then sometimes, you know, you know, diminishing a song Taran and then trying to bring him back later on, you know, perhaps that's why sometimes I think he shouldn't do that. I mean, I was concerned about Clara. I like her character. Initially, I think she's a bit just another feisty Amy Pond, but she's obviously much more than that. But I hope it's something like when they built up the Pandorica and the revealing what the Pandorica was for, well, I thought was absolutely brilliant and I loved it. And with River Song, when she started, I thought she was great. And by the time the end, they revealed who she mm. was, I didn't care yeah. because it had gone on so long and I was so bored with her character. Mm. Yeah. It's doing it enough to be <clears throat> clever and not go, I'm Stephen Moffat, I'm writing this yeah. and I love having all these secrets because he's a very good writer. But just do it long enough to keep people entertained and then reveal it. Don't drag it on so long. Well, the thing with Clara is we're not going to find out till the end of Series 7B how it ties together. If we even find out then, we may not find out till... I she know. could carry on, couldn't she? But however carry long she carries on for, it's, only when, <laughs> it's probably only going to be when she leaves that it's going to be explained, right? So this mystery is going to be sidelined when we get into the stories. Mm. There will be references to it in the first episode, no doubt, and then it will be put on one side until the moment at which it's revealed. But it's slightly different from River Song in that with River Song, he didn't have that plan when he wrote that first story. He devised that plan after having put a character into that first story because, you know, he got the job as the showrunner. He decided mm-hmm. and people probably suggested he bring her back. You know, the fans, the first thing they said when Stephen Moffat got the job was, can we find out who River Song is now? And he obviously decided to build a series out of explaining who River Song is. But this is different. This time he's gone in knowing what he's going to do with this character and he knows the end game. He knows what she's going to be. I think this will be better because of that. Because yeah. it's his plan. He's not been forced into, <clears throat> not forced, no. but almost forced into writing who River Song is. Therefore, when she's revealed, she's not that interesting. Whereas but, Clara is his own creation and could be much more but interesting. But my point being, he knows where it's going and what he's done is he's not given us the River Song thing where you introduce a character and then devise something later on he's devised the something and then found a really interesting way to introduce the character knowing what he's already devised and he's done a christmas carol he's shown us and i've written this about half a dozen places so you know if you've read it already (laughs) turn your headphones off now he's done a christmas carol he's shown us in the dalek episode he's shown us the ghost of clara's future in a christmas the christmas episode He's shown as the ghost of Clara's past. And once we get into the series and she's a modern girl, then we get Clara in the present. Mm. It's shown as what she is in the future, what she is in the past. And now we're going to live with her as she is now. Mm. Mm. And he knows who she is. So whoever she turns out to be, this is going to tie together. Mm. Okay. Um, I just want to say it's continuing the theme far more subtly than it has done before of using great literary works. You know, you had Christmas Carol, didn't you? And then you had C.S. Lewis last year. Is it last year? 
Yeah. Yeah. God, time flies. And then it was Roman Briggs this time, wasn't it? It was the snowman. Yeah, but did it have anything to do with Raymond Briggs whatsoever? Well, no, no, but it was a twist on it in the fact that there was this boy who'd grown up with a snowman becoming his one and only friend. And yeah, I guess he was, so. It was I a TARDIS was, in the air. I think that's probably where the idea came from. It was a TARDIS in the air. TARDIS in the air. they were walking in the air. They were walking on the clouds. Oh, but that puzzled me. I mean, look, this TARDIS thing as well. You've got Clara. She finds a TARDIS. Mm. And she pulls the invisible ladder down, which becomes yeah. a visible ladder. She climbs up all the spiral staircase. At the top, there's a TARDIS on a cloud that you can walk on. Mm-hmm. He spends all this time doing this, but he can't fix the bloody comedian circuit in the TARDIS. <laughs> I think he needs to manage his time a he bit. He doesn't better, need to, yeah. though. I don't now, think he wants he? to. I think he likes it as a yeah. police box. He likes the police box. He's nostalgic. I think that's He's the got the perception point, filter. Yeah. He doesn't need it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like the staircase. I loved it, in fact. That I know, yeah. The best things the in games. the episode. It was very, very sweet, yeah. I thought the set design and the costumes in this were really the yeah. new TARDIS really the, um, oh, we, we come, come back, to that we'll we come, come to, to the TARDIS, yeah, yeah, the TARDIS I want to talk about that were, those are ongoing things so we'll talk yeah. about those at the end the idea of having the TARDIS up there might have seemed a bit strange that the Doctor would have the TARDIS so far away that it takes him an age to get there mm. and to get back and what have you but if he was avoiding people and he's avoiding conflict yep. then he would yep. so it seems perfectly logical mm-hmm. and the fact that she goes up and then gets scared and runs away again also seemed perfectly log- logical to me because mm. by you know it's one of those things where if you see something curious you'll start to investigate and if it starts to get scary mm. while you're investigating you know you keep going until you get to the point at which it's too scary and by the time you get to the point at which it's too scary it's too scary you're already past the point <laughs> at which it's too scary you know what i mean she gets all the way to the top of the ladder with the idea of what's going on in her head and it's only when she gets to the top of the ladder that she suddenly thinks, oh, shit, what am I doing? Mm. And that's the point at which she runs off again. It seemed to me like a perfectly natural human reaction because I got the impression that that was probably one of those things where people are scratching their head saying, well, she's there. Why did she just stay there? <laughs> but, of course, it just seemed to me perfectly plausible. No, it did to me as well. I think it was quite nice mm. that she didn't go barging straight in. No, I like the fact she also said it's smaller on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. What a great line. <laughs> oh, I thought that was a bit obvious. Oh, really. I like <laughs> no. Uh, no, no, I, it's just some, Stephen Moff is a clever writer, but he uh, every now and again will do something where I think he's built up a line just a bit too much. The mm. one word test. Yeah. So he's built this entire scene around this test just so that he can get to the word pond at the end of it. <laughs> because that's all it was, really. I mean, yeah. it was a nice scene. I was going to say, it was quite nicely done. It was yeah. a lovely piece of writing, and some of the stuff, you know, that she was coming up with were unexpected, surprising, quite intelligent, all this kind of thing. You think it's a nice scene, but he just wrote mm. that scene so he could get the word pond in at the end, didn't mm. he? Mm. I'm starting to get a little bit tired of the whole Doctor Who thing. Yes. Not the programme, I mean the... What, the <laughs> Continually Doctor asking Who, Doctor Who... Doctor Who? Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't mind that at all. No, it's all. I mean, they're trying to go back almost because he's done so much, Mm. hasn't he? He's saved all of space and time. I mean, where do you go? It's like trying to downscale it and make it a little bit more simpler, a bit more of a myth. It was a very odd mix of an episode that was trying to behave like the the first episode somebody might like to see, but also this huge connection with previous stories and Mm. what have you. So, yeah. And stories still to come. Yeah. Had a bit of an identity crisis, didn't it? Yeah. Well, that was my whole problem with it. Yeah. Not quite sure what it wants to be. Yeah. Yeah. But going back to the Doctor Who thing, I think. I don't always like the way they do it, 
But the fact that they do it doesn't bother me in the slightest, because I think it works on sort of several levels. On the one hand, as Bill was saying, it goes back to the whole, let's bring the mystery back to the character. So by causing it to be a question rather than a Mm. statement plays into the whole making the Doctor a mysterious character. I mean, I'm happy with him becoming mysterious, but I think certainly even the most casual viewer kind of got the idea that they've been watching it enough that he's kind of dialed back on the old wandering around like some sort of god and being really in your face. Well, that's why I'm saying because it works on multiple levels Mm. that I think it goes beyond that because... Uh, also, of course, it is the name of the series, and we are moving into the 50th anniversary. Yeah. And it's almost like a subtle way of saying to the audience, you know, this is the program, and we are celebrating this program now. Mm-hmm. You know, by putting the name of the program into the stories, it's almost like reminding people what they're watching, you know, which mm-hmm. you don't need to do, but you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. uh, it's a nice, subtle way of just. And then at the same time, beyond. Oh, I don't know quite how to phrase this now. Beyond the mystery that you're putting back into the character and the fact that you're celebrating the series, it's almost a way of taking what's gone before in the series and further than just putting the mystery back into the Doctor, it's almost a way of uh, pointing out that it's a turning point. Do you get what I'm saying with that? Yeah. It's yeah. a bit like... <clears throat> and quite and oddly enough, the War Machines which was the first instance of the the name Doctor Who being used, mm. was a big turning point as well, as we've discussed. Yeah, it's in well calling him Doctor Who, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, and it is a turning point in the series because that's the first time the series engages with modern day as opposed to the future and the past. And it changes the template of what the series can do. And it's almost like Stephen Moffat's trying to point out to the audience that not just the other things that I've said... But also, it's his way of saying to the audience, I'm doing something different as well. And this could be Doctor Who changing again. Well, yeah, I don't know. We're not going to be talking about the titles and what have you until the end. But I did feel that there was, I was thinking about it in my head. And obviously. Well, we're pretty much there. We're, we're talking about the titles at the end. That's backwards, sure. <laughs> <laughs> talking, I'm talking about the opening titles at the this end. This is a bad example, but I was thinking about. Do you remember, was it the second or third series of Butt Rogers in the 25th century where all of a sudden (laughs) it was on a spaceship elsewhere and the titles changed and the music changed and the whole thing all of a sudden just went a bit odd. And it felt like that at the start. It felt like a new, fresh start, what with the set and the music and the titles. And as you say, the way it was almost like reintroducing the Doctor's character in a lot of ways. Um, Or re-engaging with the character. Yeah, maybe so, yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously far better than Buck Rogers, but uh, I'm not less likely in Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but all of a sudden they're introducing loads of new characters. I know they're not um, new to us as mm. as ongoing viewers, but you know, all of a sudden, like you say, there's this gestalt of characters that. Well, if I if I'm right, and the Great Intelligence is to become seriously important, I mean, my the way I see it. Because, you know, I think Stephen Moffat works like this. I think he will tie his entire tenure up in one long, ongoing story arc. Mm. And I think this was our first engagement with that. Mm. And if so, and the great intelligence is that important, then this episode will be a massive turning point in the series. Because nobody's ever done a five-year story arc in Doctor Who before. Mm. No, I remember years ago, nobody did story arcs at all until Babylon 5 came around. Mm. And when that came around, you got things like Star Trek Deep Space Nine started to do, well, we can stretch a story over three episodes. Instead of solving it, 
in one. Mm. I think he and he is good at this. He is good at going back to something he set up a long time ago that we've perhaps forgotten about. I know he puts in subtle hints about things, but sometimes they're nice because they're little red herrings. Well, then he hits you with something you've forgotten about. Presumably, you'll get to the very last episode in Stephen Moffat's tenure, which will probably be called The Fall of the Eleventh. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, there'll be something in that episode that suddenly makes sense of something in the very first episode, probably. Mm. And the whole of the five years will suddenly mean something different. Mm. Mm. That I don't know if that's true, but I just get the impression that uh, part of this whole Doctor Who thing is Stephen Moffat kind of pointing arrows. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Putting little markers. And when we get to the end, we'll go bugger. We'll have to watch it all again from the <laughs> beginning because it wasn't yeah. what we thought it was going to be. <laughs> but then you can just watch the episodes that he wrote and forget yeah. about the others. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can watch the River Song story in four episodes. Mm. You know. That's all it takes. Mm, yeah. uh, go on then, since we're there. The no, sorry, you're gagging to talk about the it. The TARDIS. Mm. No, he wants to talk about the TARDIS. The titles are the TARDIS. Yeah. The TARDIS. Okay, the tar- well, I like the, the fact tar-tis. that the exterior is really battered, like in the old Troughton era. All the paint coming off and just looking a bit manky. Well, that's mm. to do with his retirement, isn't it? As far as I'm aware. It's to show that yeah, it has been used be for a while. Normal next no, time. I like that. Go on. Anything else you like? Interior. We're I talking. love it. I love it. It was I think gorgeous. It was awesome. It was and smaller, which was mm. nice. I liked smaller. So mm. did I. It's not the old... too small. Felt but intimate. Yeah. Felt it's... slightly cozier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, for years the TARDIS could never be what it was. It was always Tom Baker walks around a different room and it's a photograph or something because they haven't got the budget to build an extra room. But mm. now you've got it, it's almost too much. And it, as I like, agree the scaling down. Mm. It's not even my daughter who doesn't really watch the old Doctor Who. First, when she saw the TARDIS, the inside, she thought, that's the old one. Because it, it yeah. reminded her of the Pertwee's and things yeah. that I watched, the silver look uh, And the it. odd thing is, of course, it doesn't look anything remotely like the old one if you no, put no, two photographs no. side by side, mm. but it does remind you of it. Ah, but see, mm. to, to hardcore people like you, it doesn't, but to see myself and my daughter, we watch it. <laughs> <laughs> that's no, that's it what I'm like, saying. That's yeah. the first thing that triggers yeah. the memory. First thing I thought was Pertwee. Mm. Oh, well, that's what, exactly yeah. what I'm saying. It reminds you of it. It puts yeah. you in mind of it. Mm. And that's great going into the 50th anniversary mm. because mm. now you've got a TARDIS that feels modern and old and Encompasses everything, yeah. basically. I like the time rotor. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I like oh, the, the way it goes up. Star Trek lights. People <laughs> have moaned about the fact that it still goes up to the ceiling, but to me that just makes sense. And yeah. it looked great. Yeah, yeah. it was moving. But even back in Harnell days, there was a ceiling design. I know you couldn't see mm. all the episodes that it did go yeah. up. You know, yeah. Do you know what was really great as well was the fact that you've got this new character seeing the TARDIS for the first time. You felt like you were as yeah. well. And that yeah. was a nice little... In fact, watching that bit was when I was watching my daughter and they... um. He's showing Clara the inside of the TARDIS, and he says, it's mine. And mm. immediately my daughter speaks up and goes, no, it's, no, not. it's not. He stole it. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you, the uh, ladders and the staircases and, you know, the two-level setting mm. that it's still got, it made me think this is the TARDIS that they would have made in 1963 if they'd had that yeah. amount of money. Yeah. Mm. It um, does. It looks like an old TARDIS, but with the, with the budget they've got now. And I think yeah. that, that appeals to a lot of people. Yeah. And I, I didn't think I wanted that until I saw it. Mm. And then I thought, no, actually, I did want that. Mm. I like that they've gone back to the more sort of bluey-greeny lighting as well. Preferred that in the... Um... Time Monster. <laughs> well, no, I think <laughs> more... Time Monster that looks like that? I think it is. I could be wrong. I was thinking like the, the Eccleston and Tennant. Artists, they've gone for that sort of. Oh, okay, tint. fair enough. They did it once back in um, 
I don't know if it was Pertwee. Sometime back you in the classic to, series. You wanted to bring back the washing up bowls, didn't you, for the uh, roundels? Yeah. You had in Pertwee. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, actually. They um, couldn't afford those this year. No. <laughs> it's been cutbacks. <laughs> but it's got roundels and hexagonals and all sorts of things mm. in there. Mm. It's The nice thing about it was the uh, central console no mm. longer has that. Oh, there's a typewriter here and yeah, an old television yeah. set oh. there and a gramophone. I really record. like it. And, you know, those things were okay at the time, but I did, I did, when they did that with the original TARDIS with Tennant and um, Eccleston, mm. that was fine. Yeah. yeah. But when the TARDIS rebuilt itself mm. and mm. did it again, yeah. I just thought, no, that that's wrong now. But they've still got like old school switches and buttons and stuff on it. So it's still yeah, got it's- that retro-y look. Yeah, that's what's good about it. It's not like you watch an older series, whatever, old sci-fi series, where they've mm. got a particular console or a ship or the interior. Mm. And it dates because in the 1970s, they thought that's what the future yeah. looked like. It's yeah. really nice to have something that looks modern or futuristic, but retro. So it, it doesn't date w- And as it well. wasn't sort of steampunk. No. Which no. is, you know, which is great. But, um, uh, you know, if they'd have gone that route, it would have felt, after what they've just done before, it wouldn't have felt the right way to go. Mm, this yeah. was kind of a sort of retro futuristic that was unique yeah. to the series Doctor Who. You also feel like the Doctor could have built it himself in some respects rather than growing it away from this coral idea and, and yeah. all that business. Mm. Um, That's just the Peter Cushing fan in you coming out, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it's like back to the... Um, I like the I idea he's always doing work on it. Peter yeah. Davison, and he's wandering around with his duster, almost as though he did yeah. do it himself, and yeah. the five doctors always yeah. like, oh, yeah. I'm proud of this. Yeah. You know, so maybe, we don't know, maybe they work together. Hmm. You know, it looks like much more of a joint effort than the TARDIS yeah. goes off and rebuilds itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think we're all giving 10 out of 10. To Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. We're going to score the episode in a minute, but first let's talk about the title. Mm. <laughs> no, no, come Me on. Jarrah that... started on Facebook already. By the way, we were, we were, oh. had words. Have you? The, oh, really? the title's not. I, I, I don't get it. If it's not broken, don't fix it. And I know over the years they keep changing the titles, don't they? All the time. And I've really liked the Matt Smith titles. The, not the new one, but the older ones they did with it going down the time vortex and everything and bouncing off and lightning looks great. And the new ones, I love to see the Doctor's face. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was nice. That that hasn't been done for so long to see his face, and that was a nice nod to the past. But the rest of it was it just knocked up on someone's Photoshop. It just looks so cheap. But it just sort of comes past you in a cloud, doesn't it? Mm. Very like Sylvester McCoy did no, in 1987. I don't think it's at all. <laughs> it bite, looks bite, exactly bite, like bite, that. Was the last time we saw bite. his face? Do you know what? I've watched it. I've only had a chance to watch the episode once, but I quickly <laughs> whisked back through the titles about five times to try and get some. And I think it's really 60s. Mm. It's really Barbarella. Yeah, that's mm. what I said in my review. Oh, right. I haven't seen that. Uh, Barbarella <laughs> was exactly what I said in my review. Yeah. Now, there's a good film. <laughs> but the point, yes, it's 60s Barbarella by way of the 1987 oh, title I love sequence. the way it's almost like cut together. Mm. Um, yeah. The way it pans across. And all, it's almost like it's been animated as opposed to loads of CGI. I love it. Like the... It's layered. Uh, mm. No, I still don't like it. No, I'm listening to yeah, what you're saying. It's not in the least bit McCoy. 
it is not. Mm. Well, apart from the fact it's got a face, but how many other times have they yeah. had the face? But no, 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 no. You no, tell no. me what, why the you McCoy... think it's McCoy. No, it's over the years they've had the face, and I think it's a nice nod from, from yeah, you know, absolutely, from, yeah. from, from, from yeah. the beginning, right through the, the Doctor's the face disappeared after. Is the only Doctor Who title sequence that doesn't go down a tunnel, but instead sweeps around looking at different things instead. Oh right, in okay. exactly the same way this did, and the Doctor's face comes Ooh. up silver in a cloud in exactly the same way. But he's he did not a winker. No, he didn't wink. That was the no. only thing. That'll be the next oh. episode. <laughs> and that's why I said, when I saw the titles, right. I just kept thinking, Matt Smith, are you going to wink? Except I yeah. thought this worked. That's the only thing. I, no, that's what's yeah, contrasting. That's the difference, <laughs> Simon, is the money they spent on it back then and the resources oh, they had no, it's not was about infinitesimal. That. No, because if you look at back, even back through the Davison titles and everything like that, I mean, it was all done on film and it was all down to ingenuity. You know, the, the, um, the effect with the foil uh, being... Uh, reflected into a tube, you know, for the late John Pertwee, Tom Baker titles, and then even the Starfields was all down to in- the ingenuity of having a piece of paper with the light coming through it and then layering that so you've got this impression of it coming forwards. All about, and and then you get to the McCoy ones where they think, I suppose we better use computer graphics because that's what we're doing all the titles, like You've Been Framed and stuff like that. We better use that, just like they <laughs> use all the FM synths. Oh, we better use that because that's the latest thing. Not necessarily the best answer and lack of ingenuity, and that's why they look crap. <laughs> <laughs> I think Simon's going to put up a video on YouTube of the uh, Sylvester McCoy opening credits, but with the theme <laughs> tune to You've Been Framed over the top of it. Yeah. yeah. But to going back to the new ones, right? why does it swoop around so much? Why not? It should be going down a tunnel. No, it doesn't have. No, I, I don't. No, I don't, I don't think it matters where it goes. I just think titles are boring, regardless of which way they sweep or go in or go from yeah, side yeah, to side. Yeah, you learn nothing. Time isn't f- a straight line. It's timey wimey. It's wibbly wobbly. <laughs> they, they are very nondescript. I will say. Yeah, they are quite bland. I, I, I love his face in it. That's great. But the titles are bland and the music's bland. Oh no! Why have they oh, let's come oh, read music. Music. Oh, please. The titles, right? Have always been. The TARDIS in flight. But this was just swoop here, see some bubbly sort of, you know, <laughs> pink stuff. Yeah. Swoop there, see yeah. a stars and a planet. Yeah. Swoop that way, see a bit of a tunnel. Swoop that way, see a cloud with a doctor's face in it. It's like, I didn't dislike it, and it probably will grow on me. Do you me, know what it's like? It's it, like the titles to the Spider-Man movies, the Sam Raimi ones. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I like those. Like but that. this, I like but those. That's, <laughs> but that's my point in a right. nutshell. It's like the titles from something else. Right. It's not Doctor Who. Okay. You know, Doctor Who, the titles, it's the TARDIS in flight. It's going down the tunnel. Mm. Even when it's just a star field, which to me was the dullest tunnel they ever did. <laughs> but even then, it's still the TARDIS in flight. In flight, right, okay. And now they've mm. just randomly, just in time for the 50th birthday, when they should be celebrating what Doctor Who has always been about, they have randomly come up with the least Doctor Who-y title sequence there has ever been. And whether you like it or not, mm. it's not appropriate. Like you say, Simon, some fans don't like change, do they? No, I think <laughs> it's not about no, change. I, no, I it's change. about there being is change. Yeah, there is change that's wrong. I'd like to say that I, I, you know, I'm the same. I don't like when they change opening titles. Keep it the same. Just don't mess with the music or the visuals. But I really like what they did with all the original Matt Smith opening titles. I thought some of the mm. best. With I the thought it worked really well. Because I the music that. was 
uh, rattles along and when you get to the bit where it changes from one to the other it suddenly crescendos and it you know the way you There's a certain adrenaline into, rush with it isn't it yeah, yeah. Mm. and this one's lost that completely but what I was going to say last point on the title swooping mm. if all those elements had been in the titles and the camera hadn't been swooping this way and that to find them but they'd been coming up one after another in a straight line so you still felt like you were travelling through them mm. That would have worked for me better than it does this way. Yeah. This way, it's just like you say in a Spider-Man or Marvel mm. title sequence where you're swooping to look at one thing and then swooping to look at something else. And I can see why that kind of represents the series in that one episode you'll be looking at one thing and then another episode you'll be looking at something else. Mm. But it just made me feel slightly giddy and didn't feel appropriate. Mm. But the music, yeah, it's kind of weirdly synthy, and it kind of drops out in the middle at the guy, point where it should be building up. It sounds more like I listen to it on headphones, and it sounds more like a remix as opposed to a new yeah, version. Yeah, I was thinking that. Yeah. It's like a sort yeah. of... Absolutely. You've got, it's you've like, got ba- like a but new... badly remixed. Remixed by that. Who's it? Was who did the eighties? Was it Kef McCulloch or somebody? Oh did music God, in the eighties. No. I don't know. I don't know if that is his right name, but I mean, yes. it was like he'd come back. That, and I, I don't know if he did. I didn't admit the end, but it has rela- yeah, it relates to the McCoy era in that it was badly mixed, and this sl- sounds slightly off balanced. Mm. There's it, it a lack of bottom off... end. There's a synth bass line, and then you've got the orchestral. They section, put a brass as in there's always been where yeah. the synth was last year, right? That's the. Yeah. Um, but then I you've got some quite nice synth sounds going in there that would make it sound odd, which I quite like. I like the fact it sounds slightly odd. But the thing is, it, things seem to disappear in the middle. So mm. it kind of felt, rather than building up. It does, it's very flat. It just kind of yeah. drifts away. Mm. Mm. That, I've only heard it the ones, so, you know. By well, the time we've seen the next series, it yeah. may have grown on mm. us the next Because I didn't episodes. like the original Matt Smith until I'd seen about half a dozen episodes, and yeah. then I really began to really like it, and now I think that's probably my favourite. Yes, yeah, so I love mm. the opening titles of Matt Smith straight away. I really like them, but the music I wasn't as keen on, and mm. then that did grow on me as the series yeah, went, so yeah. maybe... So maybe, maybe this will. will. Yeah, I'm showing my age, but the just... best one's still Tom Baker for me. For yeah. <laughs> No, it's John Pearl. When he's got his arms this, folded, he goes down a tunnel. This hasn't got that. a defined rhythm either. It's no, got, there, exactly. There is a bit of percussion in there. But it kind of sort of but, seems to um, drift in and out. Mm. That's what it felt like. It feels like it's being odd for the sake of being odd, as opposed to being odd because that's what it is. Mm. It's mm. almost like they've wanted to bring back, you know, there the, are the certain things in this episode that felt like they were doing them or introducing them because it's the 50th anniversary. And it felt like with the music, they were deliberately saying, right, Doctor Who's music's always been odd. That's how people think of it as odd. <laughs> scary it sounds like the odd. musical equivalent of somebody saying, I'm mad me. No, I mean, yeah, the, no, yes, exactly, Mark. Yeah. You've got it in a nutshell. What yeah. they've done here is, because in the last few years it's been more orchestral and less odd, it's almost like they've stripped the orchestral out and upped the oddness content to try and put you in mind of the original theme because of its oddness. Mm. But what they've done is it's the, you know, it's the um, affectedly eccentric version of the theme music. It's an affectation as opposed to a natural progression. Mm. And it just feels like an affectation. It doesn't feel natural. No, okay. It it certainly doesn't seem to have the grandeur of the other versions but no i mean during the tenant era they they did different mix and different things or they bring the guitars up or whatever and something would just sound a bit different oh that's that's good they they didn't change it dramatically and what they did really well with the previous matt smith is they timed that crescendo for the moment where you jump from one vortex to another Mm. 
and the music's in time with the, and the thunderclaps on the TARDIS and everything. Yeah. It was all timed. Everything mm. was in time. When you do a musical arrangement, it's important to get the images in rhythm with the music. That's mm. how you make it work. That's how, even if people don't realise that's what you're doing, that's mm. what makes it stick in their memory. But this one, nothing mm. seemed to fit together. It was just sweeping here, there and everywhere, you know, regardless of where in the music mm. it was. It just felt... Mm. It uh, just felt You have like, very strong views about how you feel the theme should be, don't you? I tell you what, Absolutely. though, I did. Absolutely. No I, pressure then, I Simon, when you've got to come up with your new version of I the podcast. I have got very little time to come up with it. <laughs> um, it's due next but week. But I cannot stand the TARDIS doors at the end. I can't stand that, and that is the only bit that I think is really McCoy because it's naff. My daughter oh, said, I, she said she loved Sorry? the bit when the TARDIS door opens. It's the they would do. Well, there you are. That's it's the for thing. the kids. See, the she's kids. 12. Now, that's that's the thing, is it? Where I'm going back to it being a children's program yes. again, is that it's she loved that bit when the doors opened. She thought, and it you takes you into the episode. And yes, I like it. And what I particularly like about it is the fact that over the last seven years, we have not had a consistent end of the opening titles into the episode where it jumps from one thing to another at a particular specific point from one week to the next. There should be a beat in the music <laughs> where... <laughs> then this is what I'm saying. You have to edit no, like not this. Not in particular, but... No, no, I know what you mean. Yeah, in it's the, just a fade, isn't it? It's in JR, the editing suite going, now, now. In the first episode, Rose, the bit where she does the slow-mo run to the TARDIS, right? Yeah, that's oh, right. That's and you get... Oh, but... <laughs> but... But you get the first two beats of the end title before the end title comes in. Yeah. The first two beats of the end title are over the last pace of her run. The editing there is completely off and it takes you out of it. Oh, maybe that's why I don't you think need it works. To, yeah. And this, the opening TARDIS doors are timed for the last beat of the rhythm of the opening titles. So from here on in, every week, the episode will always begin at exactly the same point in the music. Mm. And to me, that's like a, a small thing, but it's a consistency that proves you're thinking about all the elements of your program. Mm. Whereas, you know, if you've got a different editor each week and he's doing the jump at different points, there have been weeks where you get to the end of the music and you get the last beat and it goes into the sustain that fades out and you've still got the opening titles for another three seconds before you get the opening shot of the episode. Mm. And I'm thinking, why? Surely they must have known that this was going to look odd. But they do play around <laughs> with different things. Um, you can go back to like Pertwee, with the, remember the yeah, Ambassadors of yeah. Death, where you get the opening title or the opening titles like, you know, John Pertwee going, you know, showing yeah. him. Then you get a little bit of what happened last week, and then it comes up with the ambassadors of death and who wrote it and the parts. They just and you to, know what they you know, did with those and the Patrick Troughton ones. They always, but always, and Barry Letts in particular was an absolute stickler for this, did it on the beats, on mm. the bars, in the opening theme, so that every time they did it, it would fit like a jigsaw puzzle or like a song, yeah. a piece of music, like an arrangement. Mm. It was arranged to yeah. fit. Yeah. And they've not been arranging to fit. And that's what I like about the TARDIS opening doors. 
And what I don't like about the rest of the opening titles, the rest of the opening <laughs> titles aren't arranged to fit. And then suddenly at the end, they've corrected a mistake they've been making for the last seven years. What's going on? My mind can't take it. <laughs> uh, let's score the damn episode. Should we design our own titles? I think we should. Put it on I mean, it's not difficult. I don't know when we'd get the time to do it. That's the thing. But you know what I mean? If you've got editing machinery, yeah. It's not difficult to edit things so that they're on the beat. Barry Letts was doing it with a button yeah. <laughs> back in the 1970s. And CSO, don't forget the CSO. Yeah. He was slated the rhythm. Times <laughs> no, in the closing yeah. credits. He would have if he could have. You watch the closing credits in the 1970s and every time the name changes from one cast member to another, it's mm. always at the end of a bar. Mm. Always. And that's Barry Letts with his finger on the button going, next, yeah. Next, and you probably you don't notice it, but it's there when you, when it's not right. I expect that's what you're saying. Now yeah. you're noticing it because it's not. Well, it's there in all pop well, videos, yeah. isn't it? I'd imagine. But it's in pop videos, pop yeah. Videos. Pop videos are always edited to the beats and the bars. Yeah, of it makes course sense too, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, and when you watch a pop video that's not edited to the beat and the bar, it looks stupid. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Opening titles. If you're going to put all this money in animating all this stuff. Mm. And, you know, a, re- a new arrangement of the theme. You you send Murray Gold away and say, new arrangement of the theme or whatever. Just putting it together right should not be the most difficult part of the equation. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they should get Craig Rowe of Horwood to come across from Strictly and say, look, you've got to end on the beat. This is how we do it on our programme. Do it on yours and it'll all be fine. It's like giving a kid a jigsaw and the kid says, oh, mother, look, I've made his face. And she's saying, oh, my God, but you've put his eyes where his mouth should be. Can't you see the pieces of the wrong size? <laughs> and the kid's saying, I don't care. It looks good. <laughs> I'm just thinking of the mind robber now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So what happens when you get chicken box? Anything mm. can happen. Look, we've been talking for hours. Let's score the damn episode. Oh, God, oh, I can't have the one watch. But well, that's tricky. Oh, it's what we've well, been doing. Well, I'm going to do the one yeah. watch, so... Out of ten. We just give a score out of ten. Oh, okay. Go on then, Bill. Give us no, a score I'll, out of ten. I'll have to give two scores out of ten, okay? Two what? scores. confusing. Two scores out of ten. Take it as, the, you know, the, the Christmas special, just watching something nice and enjoyable on TV that's there, fluffy popcorn stuff. I give it seven out of ten. But in the world of Doctor Who and all the things gone before, I give it about four out of ten. Well, that's interesting. Mm. We've not scored a Christmas special <laughs> so far, have we? So we should all do two scores out of ten, but we're not going to. So, Simon. (laughs) We're all night. I'm going to give it a seven and a half, because it's not an eight out of ten. Integers, Simon. I know I don't like fractions. It's going to have to be a seven, because I like my eight out of ten stories, and and I don't think there was enough in it to make it an eight out of ten. As you said before, they're better than ten out of ten stories, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, If you don't like fractions, you go to 7.5. That's fine. That's what he said originally, and I told him not to do it. <laughs> no, no. Other Lee. Oh, uh, Lee. Mm. I'll give it 7.5. Nope. No fractions, only integers. Mm. Oh, seven and three quarters. Then. <laughs> <laughs> seven. Yeah, Mark? I think just because Simon said it couldn't be an eight, I'm going to score it eight out of ten. And I'm going to give it a seven as well, because I'm with you, Simon. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I didn't think it was anything bad about it, even though we've sort of, you know, it's easier to point up the faults when you've got to talk about it for an hour but i don't think it was bad in any way no i felt some bits were disappointing 
and probably too many bits were disappointing. I'm glad that the memory worm wasn't used, obviously, because as soon as that was introduced, I thought, oh, all right, that's how it's going to battle against the snow, because the snow is memory snow. Mm-hmm. And it's a memory worm that gets rid of memory, So, and it wasn't used in quite that way. No, that was, that was a good move. Yeah. But it worked nicely. Look, we've been going for about an hour, and we were going to talk about the... Uh, episodes coming up in series 7b but we've still got emails to read from people telling us what they thought of this episode so i think perhaps we should do the emails and call it a night and do our series 7b preview next week what do you think like a plan? Yep. Yeah. Okay. yep so um oh actually no this isn't an email that we've received just now but this came up on gallifrey base so long ago and i forgot to reply to this bloke because i was so busy at the time i wasn't checking on the thread and so by way of that apology, I will give a shout out to John Locke on Gallifrey Base, who said... He's on Lost, isn't he? He is. It's his username. It's yeah. not his real name. Yeah. Uh, he said, this just shows you how long ago it was. Excellent podcast from Blue Box on the topic of regeneration. Yeah. Uh, this podcast is able to seamlessly blend real depth of insight. That's me. What? Production history. Are you sure you're not mixing this up with another... That's Mark. Anecdotes never heard before. That's Simon. Hey! With plenty of laughs and lads' night hijinks, and that would be Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Could be the best one out there at the moment, uh, says John Locke. Interesting how the first two regenerations are so different to the latter nine after the mythos is established by Dixon Letts. Neither Hartnell nor Troughton die, do they? But all the other doctors have used regeneration, in Rusty Davis's words, to cheat death. Fascinating podcast. Go listen to it. Wow. Well, obviously that was <laughs> in regards to an episode we did a long time ago. But, you know, I'm sorry we didn't catch up with that, John, because I'm just a bit crap sometimes. Well, so long ago, Lee's not here because I've, he's regenerated into me. <laughs> <laughs> and next week he's going to regenerate back. Probably. I don't know. Maybe there'll be five of us again next week. We'll just have to wait and see. Uh, f- on Facebook, we put a shout out for people's thoughts on the episode. Uh, Scott Burdett, the doctor is searching for Clara, is he? Third time lucky, eh? Is this the perfect forever companion for the doctor? If one Clara is killed, he just goes and picks up another one. (laughs) So yeah, she'll probably uh, last him a very long time. So what do we think? Is she a time lady? What? Mm. Oh, is that what you think? No, that's not what I think. I don't think so. Somebody else suggests that. Actually, maybe further Mm. down on here, but... I was just going back to what Scott said. Scott said, if one Clara is killed, he just picks up another one. Mm. Isn't that basically what happened with Romana? Or would have, if that mm. had been the case. Mm. But then she regenerates into the same person, so maybe not. No, no. And these aren't regenerations either, because obviously they bury her. So it's not like it's Yeah, we don't person. see a change or anything physical happen. No, so the, the inference is there's more than one of her. So the Time Lord uh, speculation that's out there has got to be off the mark, hasn't it? Mm. Is she split across time? She's Scaroth. Yeah. Scaroth's wife. She is <laughs> Clara of the Jaguars. <laughs> oh, Clara, by the way, being Elizabeth Sladen's middle name. Do we all know that? No. No. Yeah, you've said that before. Oh, yeah. Nice. Clara's well, we Elizabeth thought Osram was going to be Clara, didn't we? Didn't we think that? But it's the same character, really. Well, no, it? yeah. Yeah. But- yeah, we knew the name Clara, Clara was, was the coming. Ru- was the mm-hmm. rumour, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So that's why she's called Clara, because it's a nod of the head to Elizabeth. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. Uh, David Adams said of the episode, lovely. Mm. And that was it. That's fairly succinct. 
If only we could have summed it up that well. <laughs> it was, to be honest. It was lovely, but it just it was it was very sweet, but it yeah. He's actually uh, done it in capital, so it's more like lovely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this uh, is David a, Adams. It's a bit more masculine. Oh. That one, yeah. <laughs> oh, Brian Finley says loved it. My only problem is the Doctor Who joke being used again and again. Yeah. And Matt Smith breaking the fourth wall right at the end, but that's becoming a bit of a theme. What did he do it? again? Remind me. I can't remember, but he, I've noticed in two or three episodes of late, the last thing he's done at the end of the episode has been looked into the camera. Doesn't he say, watch me run, and then sort of spin away from the camera? Oh, right. Oh, yes, of course. Wow. Uh, Luke James Riley, this one's a bit longer. It was good, but it seems Moffat likes to be convoluted for the sake of it. Next season is going to be a search for this new companion, but to what end? We've had the mystery of River Song. Why can't it just be a companion and the Doctor? No, the Doctor's mysterious enough, he says. I know, but this is what Moffat likes to do. And, you know, mm. in ten years' time, we'll look back on this period of the show fondly. And one of the reasons will be the things he's been doing with the companions. Mm. When you're in the middle of it, it can feel like the end is not in sight. But when the next, <laughs> but when the next showrunner comes, you've been along, watching Underworld again, haven't you? <laughs> but when the next showrunner comes along and, and all this timey wimey convolution with the companions is a thing of the past, we'll look back on it as fondly as we looked back on the episodes during William Hartnell's tenure, ending with the first two minutes of the following story and. You know, all the other things that Doctor Who sometimes does, but not always. It's one of those things. We're in the middle of it now, and it won't last forever. So let's just enjoy it for what it is. That's how I've been looking at it. Uh, Luke James Riley carries on. The best recent example of how a companion works is Donna Noble. Can't argue with that. Yeah. That season was so much fun. I hope we go back to that. The companion just being his friend is more interesting than being a love interest. I would like the mystery of next season to be about the Doctor. Can I just interject that the kiss, I saw in the trailer that it was going to be another kiss, and I just thought, oh, God's sake, can he just not kiss the companions, please? Just just, just for once. But actually, <laughs> this time, it actually the beat of it, it actually worked. I don't know why, but it seemed to there seemed to be a chemistry there that it wasn't as forced, was it? It, it was, wasn't. It, was, no. it, it worked yeah. better than River Song, to be honest. And I like the um, way they came out of it. Oh, just trying to. I haven't just watched it the once. It what the kiss was like a test, mm. and both of them came out of the kiss thinking that the test had gone the other way to the way they thought it had gone. <laughs> and then the way it was wrapped up was like almost it was the converse the other way around. So it's like a really nice, sweet. Yeah. And it wasn't sexual so much no. as... And I know, I liked it. I thought it worked. Yes, yeah. I agree. Uh, Graham Boyd says, new titles, yay. New TARDIS, a bit dark, but as it sounds like Moffat has a plan for this, yay. And as for the <laughs> uh, and as for the iconic actor that they managed to secure, I think Ian McKellen would count. Yes. Yeah. Who, by the way, is a very nice man from my very brief meeting with him. Uh, oh, and the new Cybermen look great. Also, I can't get over the new titles. I keep watching them. It has the Doctor's face in it, and the music is moving back to what I like, all nice and electronic-y. So there you go. We Jobs are good. Something That's to electronic. please everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from jail. Yeah. <laughs> he likes uh, the doors. Button. You like the doors. I like the doors. Not Jim Morrison. I mean the doors <laughs> at the end of the time. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> For a minute, you confused me all over the place then. <laughs> That's because I knew I had another email to read out and oh. couldn't find it, but now I have. So we'll finish with this, yeah. Uh, well, this is from the Reverend. He wrote oh, after uh, the last episode, the Christmas one, where we looked forward to the Christmas special and looked at the other, just Christmas in general. He said, hi, JR. Well, sadly, I ended up on the cutting room floor on your Christmas specials episode. Because do you remember I read his email mm. out during the toys episode? Oh, right. And he obviously had missed that episode. So, yeah. but as a postscript, Sorry. I must say I was wrong to question Sontaran chins. I know we have seen them before. Why, I believe one even had a hippie beard. Yes. Oh, yeah, of course. Was that Invasion of Time? Or... Uh, in fact, Link's it in, had a um, bit of a beard, didn't yeah. he? Two doctors? Link's had yeah, a couple two of stubbly bits. Two doctors, but, yeah. he had a beard. Yeah. 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 Had a bit oh, two doctors, that's what I meant. Two doctors, he had a gitty goatee, didn't he? Yeah. Mm. So there you go. So you are wrong, Reverend. Wrong. (laughs) (laughs) However, listen again now. However, he says, did you see that solid lump of Sontaran neck in the scene where Strax and the Doctor are investigating the pond? I have never seen the like. Many thanks, Andy, the Reverend Captain Ed Holoporo Rice. And then I informed him of the fact that we had read his email out during the toys episode. So mm. we went off and listened to it and came back and said, oh, JR, it was sensational. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to think an exposed probic vent could bring forth such debate. <laughs> <laughs> In, oops. <clears throat> Cat toy. In Jean-Marc Lefissier's book, What Did the Sontarans Ever Do For Us?, he does point out that Strax utilised simian snow crystals to create a decorative vent, Jazzle, and retired to Essex. Nice. I think this guy's been eating too much Sontaran pie. A new question for you guys. Fastra is wrong. Victorian England has more than two beverages the colour of red wine. As a barmaid, Clara would have certainly picked up that Vastra was wrong and put herself in an awkward position. But, just for larks, what do we think she was necking? I'm going Vimto. <laughs> Rabina. Speak soon. Uh, well, I've got to sign off for him before we talk about Victorian it. Speak Vimto. soon. Yours, the Reverend Captain Hullo Porro Ainsley Harriet Smith. <laughs> <laughs> so, if it's Victorian Vimto, it'd be Victo, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Victor. Copyright that it? name. I think it's a reference to Dracula, you know. Mm. Yeah, that's right. one, of the, one of the great Victorian novels. 1897, right time period-ish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe the great intelligence is animating Yeah, okay, we're definitely past our bedtime now, aren't <laughs> yeah. we? I think we might come back to that. <laughs> Unless anybody's got another suggestion. Well, I said Ribena. Victorian Ribena. Yeah. yeah. Would that be Vribena? They were like Victo, don't they? Victo. That's no, cool. you're not going to talk Victo. I'm not, am I? <laughs> <laughs> At least I tried. <laughs> anyway. Well, okay, then. That was our episode on The Snowmen. And on the whole, I think we gave it a thumbs sideways slightly up. Yeah. <laughs> same old, same old, isn't it? Not, nothing bad about it. It just doesn't. That's what I find with all the Christmas specials. They're not bad. They're not good. They're just. They're time. okay. They pass the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the next eight episodes. So I, mean, I was so looking forward to talking about them too. But mm. we'll leave that till next week. <laughs> okay. okay. I was Jr. I was Mark. I was Simon. And I was Bill. And we'll speak again soon.
can contact us by email via blueboxpodcast at yahoo.co.uk. Yeah.